Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You are listening to Young's Time Movie Review at Young's Time Movie Review.com. And we, we are the Children of the Guys, of Disney, we have to watch another Star Wars movie. Children of the 80s are back with another review of one of our childhood favorite films. I'm Patrick. I'm Lori. And I'm Chris. And this month we're reviewing 1988's She's Having a Baby with Kevin Bacon and he's either Elizabeth McGovern or Elizabeth Perkins. I always get the two of them con- confused, but I think it's McGovern in this one. It is. It is. <laughs> the Lady of Downton Abbey. Sure. For people who watch that. I guess. I, I don't know. But all it, cool kids. All right. Oh. Yes. Everyone who's into English drama are the cool <laughs> kids. I remember them all in high yeah. school. Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> it was all your your closest friends. With all their Shakespeare and everything. Yes. All right. But before we get started with our review of this classic 80s film, first, a word from our sponsor. Tonight's podcast is brought to you by... The Breakfast Club, a John Hughes movie actually worth seeing. The Breakfast Club. <laughs> okay. That might be the best one ever. It's the shortest. Uh, it was perfect. Okay. <laughs> I didn't need to say anything else. Okay, mine, and see if I can remember it off the top of my head. It's like casting directors. This uh, podcast is brought to you by the Baldwin Brothers Acting School. Do you need a douchebag to play in one of your films? Do you need, do you need a cheating Romeo or a philandering husband? We've got your Alec Baldwin for you. Do you need a sleazebag who likes to videotape himself having sex or watching other people through videotape? We got your William Baldwin. What about a guy who looks like he's going to just pass you a date rape drug? We certainly have Stephen Baldwin for you. How about a D-list movie actor who looks like an amalgam of all the actors but doesn't have quite the talent, we got Daniel Baldwin for you. And for those who want a Baldwin but can't afford it, we've got your Adam Baldwin. He's not really a Baldwin, (laughs) but he passes off as one. So if you're looking for a douchebag, we've got him for you. Baldwin Brothers School of Acting. (laughs) That's a good one. That was a little snarky. <laughs> I thought that was a good one and, and quite on point. Yes. <laughs> no. What the Baldwins do to you? Nothing. In fact, I used to be friends with Steven, so I was <laughs> having no problem with that. <laughs> Feel bad calling him a date rape guy, but he kind of looked like a date rape guy. <laughs> no, he does. <laughs> Have you ever seen Threesome? That, that, that kind of escalated really quickly. <laughs> Lori's already in dispute with me. (laughs) All right. uh, I have the summary for this film. Jefferson Jake Briggs and Christy Briggs are a young couple who fell in love after meeting at a party in college. As the film begins, it is their wedding day. Jake is having second thoughts, although he's unsure why. 
Outside the church, Jake discusses his wedding with his best friend, Davis McDonald, the resident douchebag of the film. Jake asks his friends if he'll be happy if he marries Christy, to which Davis replies, yeah, you'll be happy. You just won't know it. Davis offers to drive away and leave the wedding behind, but Jake decides to go through with it. After the wedding, Jake and Christy head off to New Mexico so that Jake can acquire his master's degree. However, after a short time, Jake decides to leave the graduate program to pursue his dream of becoming a writer. The couple returns to Chicago where Jake takes a job as an advertising copywriter for a company that immediately discovers that he has fabricated everything in his resume. His bosses, Bill and Howard, are cynical and jaded, but admire Jake's desperation and his ability to work for almost nothing. Bill advises Jake that a dream to become a novelist is unlikely, but Jake decides to pursue it anyways. Christy finds work as a research analyst and the young married couple buy a decent house in the suburbs. As time passes, Jake and Christy adjust to their new lives, but often not without conflict. Jake and Christy are pressured by their parents to start a family. Eventually, Christy caves to the pressure and stops taking her birth control, but she does not tell Jake, as a good wife would do. A visit by Davis and his slutty girlfriend causes Jake and Christy to fight. Around the same time, Jake continually continually encounters a young French model who he begins fantasizing about having an affair with. Eventually, Jake has an opportunity to engage with the French model, but chooses not to. After a few months, and yes, a few months, Christy tells Jake about her decision to stop taking her birth control, which throws Jake into a panic. However, the reason for Christy's failure to get pregnant during that time frame is soon discovered to be Jake's low sperm count. Jake changes his underwear, and he and Christy begin having sex on a schedule to improve their chances for pregnancy. After not seeing Jake and Christy for a few years, Davis visits them unexpectedly after his father has died. Jake and Christy are supportive and allow him to stay the night in their home. Christy tries to console Davis, but Davis unexpectedly confesses his love for Christy and attempts to make a pass at her. Christy shuts Davis down and tells him that she loves Jake. Not long afterwards, Christy leaves a message for Jake at work to meet her at the Field History Museum. Jake becomes nervous because the museum was where he met the French model, even though he did not have an affair. At the museum, Christy reveals that she is pregnant, and Jake shows some restrained joy. On the day of the child's birth, Christy and Jake head to the hospital. However, complications ensue when the baby moves into a breech position. Jake is not allowed into the delivery room as the doctors and nurses work to save both Christy and the baby. As Jake sits in the lobby with his and Christy's parents, Jake realizes that Davis was correct, that he did know that he was happy the whole time. As he worries about Christy and the baby, he realizes his own selfishness and immaturity had been the obstacle to his happiness. Eventually, Jake is allowed to see Christy, who tells him that both she and their baby boy are fine. The film ends with the reveal that Jake's voiceover throughout the entire film was him reading his first novel entitled She's Having a Baby to His Wife and Son. During one of the best closing credit scenes of the 80s, Jake and Christy discuss the name of their son as many of the Hollywood's biggest stars, uh, such as Dan Aykroyd, John Candy, Matthew Broderick, Chevy Chase, Ted Danson, Roy Orbison, Woody Harrelson, Bill Murray, Magic Johnson, and many other offer their advice as to baby names. Ultimately, Olivia Newton-John. Sorry. I, that's right. I should have put that in here. Uh, I wrote this before. Unfortunately, she passed. So ultimately, the couple decides on the name Christopher, and that is she's having a baby. All right. 
Uh, oh, shit, I got numbers, too. I got to do numbers as well. Hang on a second. Uh, she's having a baby, released on February 5th, 1988, the same day as The Serpent and the Rainbow, Sister, Sister, with Jennifer Jason Lee and Eric Stoltz, and The Unbearable Lightness of Being, the same month as Shoot to Kill, Ironweed, School Days, Satisfaction, Bloodsport, Frantic, and Lori's all-time favorite film, Action Jackson, with Carl Weathers and Vanity. Uh, made, I do like Carl Weathers. <laughs> made on a budget of $20 million. It grossed $16 million, making it the 63rd highest grossing film of 1988, right behind another pregnancy film, Four Keeps, uh, Crossing Delancey, and Bright Lights, Big City, and right in front of such classics as Masquerade, Big Top Peewee, and Arthur Two on the Rocks. Uh, it is uh, sixth. Uh, it was the sixth of eight films that John Hughes directed himself. And the only real interesting stat is writer, director, and actor Kevin Smith cites this as his all-time favorite John Hughes film. Rotten Tomatoes has it at 41% critics and 52% audience. And that is the numbers on She's Having a Baby. All right. Starting off with uh, this film, Lori, this is around the time you were working in the movie theater, wasn't it? In 88? Yes, I was. Was this, did this play at the theater while you worked there? Honestly, I don't remember. (laughs) Okay. It's not one that I remember. uh, It must, the ones I remember are the ones that I would go in when I got off and watch my favorite ones. So I did like this movie though. Did you see I it? I remember when it came out. I did. I remember seeing it. And I remember I remember seeing it with my friend Carrie. And I remember we both really liked the soundtrack. And she bought it. And we both really liked the song that they play when when he doesn't know if they're gonna make it. Uh, this woman's work. Yeah, and I didn't know that was Kate Bush. I didn't remember that. <laughs> so that's a that song is just I think it's one of the most perfect songs, just at the perfect scene in movie history. I really do. Well, she wow. that's, yeah, she wrote it specifically for that scene. It so, shows. Yeah, it was not a song that they just threw in there. They they hired her and she watched the scene and then wrote the lyrics, basically trying to express what is going on at that moment. So well, that's why it's voice, so per- yes, that's why it's so perfect is because but she, in her voice just just completely captures the moment you know but um yeah i I remember that i i really liked it i don't think that i liked it as much now as i rushed to the end Lori. oh (laughs) i didn't say anything go ahead chris did you see this back in the 80s i did not ah first and i wish i did not see it in the 2020s either (laughs) Okay, uh, so so this was not a treasured classic for you from 1988. Well, if you're asking me yet if it stands the test of time, I'll say this. It's funny because you're talking about the credits. Here's how much I, for starters, I wouldn't have even finished this movie except for the fact that I knew someone would ask me how it ends. So I had to watch it all the way through. But I didn't even know about the credit scenes at the end that you're talking about because as soon as it when as soon as it was done, it was off. Oh. Yeah, there was a. There so was it a sounds nice... like the best part of the movie was the closing credits, which I missed. Yeah, remember John Hughes always does something fun 
That's well, like Ferris sometime. Bueller and yeah, yeah. Usually he does a movie that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll agree with you in that that this film is not as fun as many of his other films. There's a little bit, especially the last quarter of it is pretty pretty damn serious so oh the part where she actually is having a baby yeah that's true i think the title is kind of a misnomer it's just kind of like yeah (laughs) it takes a long time to get to that point uh you know i did not see this in the theaters i didn't see it probably even immediately after it was released um i know i saw it probably the early 90s uh, and I don't even know what caused me, and, and Lori knows my girlfriend at the time, Melissa, that it caused us to rent it, and we ended up watching it. I really liked it. I really liked it back then. Uh, I had not, I've probably seen it only once in the time frame since, uh, but I, I had a lot more, I romanticized this film a lot more than, <laughs> as Lori kind of said, than I do now after watching it as an adult. Not till the end, Patrick. I know. But kind of the idea of that, I think that but it's a different experience, a different perspective that when I saw it when I was 19 or 20 and did not was not married, not having any children, not even near to having any children. And now at 50, having had children that I have a much different perspective of this particular film uh, and I have other critiques of it. But we're going to real quickly, you would think that that point in itself makes my point you now have that perspective which means you should identify with the movie and it should be like oh god yes oh i've realized oh that's so good because now i understand but it doesn't it has the opposite effect and i don't i don't go quite that far i mean there the, the aspect of the uncertainty of that character i think i related to better at 19 than i do at 50 <laughs> you know but okay. the the having the baby portion of it i think is is very relatable uh to yeah. the, at the very te- the end of the film especially when we get to the point where christie's you know in surgery and he's uncertain and sitting there being all pensive and you know, it's sitting across the lobby from his in-laws and his parents, yeah. which I thought was a, an interesting choice for that scene. But, okay, Chris, well, let's come to you. Uh, first perspective, obviously not a positive perspective. Uh, you've already opened the door with the film called She's Having a Baby, but she only has a baby and there's only really the kind of the threat of a baby in the last maybe yeah. third of the film. Okay, is there a question in there? Yeah, so what else is <laughs> wrong with this film? I, I th- okay, here's the thing. It, it, okay, it, it's just, you, who do you like in this movie? There's nobody really that likable in the movie, even Kevin Bacon. I nobody like Christy. Se- she was okay, but she was, she was almost an unnecessary part of the movie. I mean, because it was, everything was from his perspective. Oh, the baby just comes itself. <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, well, yeah, okay, so the last quarter of the movie, she's included. No, it just seems like nobody's happy. Nobody supports anybody. Everybody is is just whining about everything. You don't really get a chance to root for anybody. And by the time you get to the point where, you know, as Patrick said, you can relate to the scene where Kevin Bacon's in the waiting room and nervous and everything and, you know, having gone through a not quite that extent of a situation with our first son being born, but similar thing where there was like a cautionary thing. It's like, yeah, you can relate to that a little bit, but by that point you still haven't really had a reason to root for anybody. 
I mean, why do you care about these people? There's no, they don't seem like they belong together. They never seem like they're happy with each other. The scene where toward the end where he has the montage of all the good things they were doing in life, you know, painting the house and doing that kind of stuff, all the happy stuff. They should have put that in the beginning because up till that point, is there anything really happy about the movie that makes you want to invest in these characters? And that's where it was for me. It was just like they, they just no one support. The parents didn't support them. They, they didn't support each other where they said they were supporting each other. They really kind of weren't supporting each other. It's it's just they were all miserable. It seemed like nobody wanted to be there. And that was my take. Lori. I was giving you a hard time, but I actually can't disagree with you. <laughs> um, I didn't mean to say I, it in such a dickish way, but that's you did. How you I did. I was just giving you a hard time. Yeah. Um, that was very Baldwin-like um, of you, there, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> My Baldwin-esque performance. <laughs> I, I agree. The, the I think the bones of the script were good. But I just think that, that that there wasn't a lot of meat to it. That it kind of they spent a lot of time on them meeting. It was it was really good. The wedding it was really good. And then it was like everything. There was like a blur, and then and a few hiccups, and well, a lot of hiccups. And then she's pregnant. But I but I agree with you. The characters weren't very sympathetic. I felt like I knew Jake and Christy because we saw how they met and then definitely disliked, uh, what was this? Alec Baldwin's name? Davis. Yeah, definitely couldn't stand him. He was a jerk. Man, that was a dark role. But I know and that guy. I know that guy. <laughs> yeah, we all do. I know, I yeah. know. I mean, that's it, so yeah, they were kind of typecast exactly and and you know your your friends that when you're about that when people are a bachelor and they you know those friends they drink with and 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 i i felt like he was jealous of christy because when you make kevin bacon or alec baldwin <laughs> alec baldwin <laughs> because i i i've i've seen seen that happen when you get married and especially when you have kids everything changes and you don't have that time anymore to spend with your friends and you're not going out drinking with your friends and and so i i felt i didn't know if he was really that much of a jerk or if he just was jealous but i think he was really that much of a jerk so i i think it was a really good idea, and I think there were some really sweet moments and some really good scenes, and I think the acting was amazing. But I think what it came down to was just the script just wasn't developed enough that with enough moments, we we needed more moments to, to like you said, yeah. to really care about them. Yeah, it just kind of felt like, like John Hughes was just kind of going through the motions, you know? Yeah, and I and, think it – well, I think it was – there was a, probably a lot of his personal story in there in some of it. And so I think in his mind, it was there, the whole story. And maybe because it was so close to him, he, he wasn't able, he wasn't able to fully put it out in the script or maybe it was the editing. I don't know. Oh, well, all right. Well, I've sat quietly. Uh, I'm going to agree with Chris <laughs> as to, Christy might as well have been wallpaper 
because I never really felt I knew who she was. You know, the, the closest I felt to getting to know that character is the scene she has with Alec Baldwin when he makes the pass and she yeah, basically says, not on your life, you know, and says, I, you know, I, I love him. And that's the only thing I get from her. Otherwise, she's just the window dressing to Kevin Bacon. This is a film about, you know, Jake. And then as I watch it now, you know, this, this idea of like, this guy's a jackass. I mean, he's having these thoughts of the affair with this random French model. Um, yeah, he doesn't go through with it, but the the kind of aspect of what was that supposed to tell me about his character? And you know, at the end of the, at the end of the film, like, what did that do? You know, what, uh, what was I supposed to take from that? And there's, there's so many, th- the, the things that bothered me in this film, so many things that really didn't need to be there. What was with the dancing, you know, lawnmowering? Oh my God. In the neighborhood. I, I liked like, that. Oh scene. my God. Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm literally going to read my notes. Is there a worse scene in movie history than the daydream no. sequence with the guys and their lawnmowers and the wives dancing? Oh my every, God. Every musical needs a dancing scene. It's not I mean, every musical. Not musical. <laughs> every movie I meant to say. And, and, and I will once again point out that's what's wrong with musicals is dancing and music <laughs> is that it slowed down the pace of this film. I got nothing from that scene. Nothing other is than, wrong with dancing no, music. Oh God, that was, that that scene was pointless. But I'll say that most of the scenes with the neighborhood were pointless. I think, I yeah. I, I think that I agree with Lori. You needed to flesh this out a little bit more to kind of show the struggles of a young married couple as they try to overcome these things. But basically, this wasn't the struggles of an un, a young married couple. It was the struggles of Jake in his own mind, just trying to yeah. figure shit out all the time. And, and, and I get a lot of aspects of it, but at watching, as I said, watching it now, I go, what a jackass, you know, <laughs> through the, through the whole, the whole time is, you know, the, the, the stuff he fights about and the, the stuff that he does, such as, you know, talking to the French model or even fantasizing her. And I don't find Christie much better, you know, Oh, I'm going to stop taking the pill and not tell him. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's a major thing, you know, and that, that to me, that was kind of, reprehensible that you know that's something they should be discussing together uh, about whether they're going to have a baby now i think the last that last scene the going to the hospital and i i think that's very powerful and that's the one scene that i related to back then a lot even though i didn't have kids but i will tell you that entire scene of you know he him not getting to go in with his wife and then going into a panic each of the three times I had kids, I I always replay that scene in my head. Not that it ever happened in any way like that, but that was always my fear is that's what's going to happen. And it just, you know, that was a powerful, very powerful moment in the film, but not funny at all. <laughs> this is played off as a comedy and that is not funny. I mean, it's, it, it affected me emotionally and, uh, and, and uh, to a point where I remember it, you know, 30 something years later, but this was mm-hmm. supposed to be a comedy. And as I watched it, I didn't find it nearly as funny or as entertaining as I did when I was far, far younger. But that's kind of a John Hughes staple that he does things like that, where look at Ferris Bueller. It's a comedy, too. But then you get to the scene where Cameron, you know, with the car and talking about his dad, though, he'll put that in there to make that. And I'm not a huge John Hughes fan, you know, don't. If so, I've got that. But 
he, that's what he does. And he put that scene in there where he turned that corner to such a serious mode and it almost catches you a little bit out of place to where, yeah, it is a comedy, but then the, it just, it just left turns there to that serious portion and he just ratcheted it up a notch in this movie. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, the, that's the only part that I remembered about this movie until I watched it again was that song and that scene in the hospital. Yeah, I, I, I remembered a lot of, I remember the conversation with Alec Baldwin. I remember Alec Baldwin's father dying. I remember Alec Baldwin with his slutty girlfriend at the house. Uh, I remember and his, and his puffy hair. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I remembered, I remember the dancing, uh, lawnmowers. Uh, you know, I remembered a lot of it. I didn't remember like them going to the club and him. That's the first time he sees the the French model. And I was that, I was like, what, what the hell is this? I don't remember this scene, but yeah. I remembered a vast majority of it. I just remember it as far funnier. And it, it's, I, you know, I, I understand what I think they're trying to strive for. I think they neutered it or minimized it and just gave kind of a cursory approach to a lot of things. And I never felt that, even at the end of this, that Jake was happy at any point in the film. And that was the yeah. message is that you're going to be happy, but you're not going to realize it in its time. And only when he thought he was going to lose everything at the end, the message being, then he realizes all the, the good times he had, but we didn't see those. <laughs> we didn't see the good times. Exactly. And exactly. I, I saw nothing but strife and to the point where maybe you shouldn't have married her. You know, maybe that was not a good match. He married her extraordinarily young. Do you, I mean, I just didn't think they had any chemistry together. I didn't see, I just didn't feel like they had an actual attraction to each other. I just, I didn't see it. It was almost like, you know what? It's almost like, um, I don't know if this is even a good comparison, but a similar movie, more recent, obviously, but kind of along the same lines to an extent, knocked up. Yeah, more recent, like almost 20 years ago now, but... But, was that movie that old? It's oh early two thousands, I think. But I never well, it, saw that. I mean, but it's a much funnier version of this. But the characters are almost, you know, she gets pregnant. They don't belong together. They're going to try. But there was a lot more comedy in that movie. Yeah, and you actually liked the characters. And surprisingly, more stuff happens in that movie than happens in this movie. And another thing that kind of caught me off guard in this movie was there was no sense of time it's like all of a sudden they're married and then the next thing you know it's two years later and then all of a sudden it's four years later and you don't see any growth or any development it's it's just all of a sudden oh well it's been they've been married for four years now they should have kids it's like whoa where did all the time go i mean they didn't show enough of a of a timeline like him going through his job they just threw a couple of cursory you know we needed scenes. to see some new mexico we needed to see some of well, when he was in grad school that yeah we saw it in one two minute scene where he says yeah. i don't want to be here anymore let's leave and that was it and yeah. we, i wasn't even sure they left <laughs> well i i had yeah. forgot yeah i'd forgotten they had gone to new mexico when i watched it i'm like they're in new mexico I don't remember this. Oh, that's because yeah. it's over like that quickly. Uh, but once again, why did you need that? What What was the point of that in the entirety of that scene? Other than other than to show Christy supports him, you know he doesn't. I, I I don't know if he really supported her, but he supported. She supported him. Is that she followed him there and she was willing to go back and you know to to try to make his dream happen of you if you will for to be a writer and as i said i i never i never understood what the connection was between these two people 
Well, when it came down to it, they were both willing to sacrifice for each other. I felt. I mean, that was where. um, What 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 did he sacrifice for her? He he wasn't sure when he was sitting in the car. I think he really thought about not marrying her, but I think he he realized that he loved her. And I just kind of think he would have been like his his best friend if it wasn't for his love for Christy. Well, and decide, and then he wasn't necessarily ready to have a baby, but she wanted one, and so then he wanted a baby, and he was willing to do what to uh, change his underwear. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I, I'm that's, gonna let you. I'm gonna let you follow that one up, Patrick. Yeah, that's that's true love. That you know to switch to 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 boxers. No, to race, have that, a that. baby. I just said it cheeky. <laughs> that's what I meant. Um, and to go along with what you were saying, Chris, when he was thinking about the French model, there were I wasn't sure if it was really happening. Or, and when it was really happening, I wasn't sure. I, that wasn't clear to me. Yeah, I took it as it was really happening other than the dream sequence. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I didn't know at first, like, what was the dream? But then, I mean, I realized that it that was really I don't know. That was that was just confusing and but, weird but even but even that that whole storyline with the french model what does she know about him what does he know about her right he sees her in a yeah. club she follows him into a bathroom you know and kind of sort of hints hits on him and i will stress kind of sort of he starts having the fantasies and then he sees her at the the modeling shoot uh, I wasn't underwear. even sure the bathroom wasn't a fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it kind of seemed that way at first. Uh, it did. Yeah. And yeah. it was, okay, why would she be interested in him? You know, like, the, I mean, there was just, yeah. you never get any under, understanding and explanation of it. it you know, and, the, and then she's supposed to, to almost provide this wisdom. If you're in love with her, why are you here with me? You know, that a good and valid who, question. Who, who's also married. <laughs> was she? Yeah, she was. Oh, but, she was. Yeah. They, when they're sitting in the thing, when she asks him, you know, she sees the ring and she says, you're married when they're sitting in the museum. And she says, that's OK. So am I. I miss. Oh, that. you're right. I forgot about that. I, I miss that. I, I didn't catch yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, like I, I didn't understand what we were supposed to take from that. And then then it's over. It's just like that. No, he doesn't go through with an affair. He doesn't do anything about it. And then we're on to the next scene, which I think is, I think when he finds out that he has a low sperm count or something like that, I mean, just, it does, it does not make a lot of sense. You know, they have these, there's many things in this film that I liked. Like, I love the little vignettes about things, you know, such as, you know, his in-laws sitting at the end of the bed, giving him criticism as he's, he's trying to impregnate his wife. I thought that was a great, like, I thought those were funny, but there was far too few of them. You know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. consistent throughout the entirety of the film. It'd be like, here's one here, here's one here, here's one here, you know, but uh, then you'll have the vignette, like the dancing little, you know, lawnmowers, which I'm like, what, what the fuck was that? You know, it just, I was like, awesome. No, that was, <laughs> that was like five minutes of my life that I'm not going to get back. It's also like the scene where they're talking about the lawnmowers and the garden hoses and everything. It's, it's like, like Seinfeld or Tarantino writing a scene about nothing. And that's all it is. It's like a scene about the most mundane thing, but it, when Seinfeld or Tarantino does it, it's interesting or funny. I just I think it's like they had 90 minutes or 100 minutes or however long this movie is to flush out these characters 
And they kept doing essentially the same thing over and over and over again at different points in their life. It would have been better if you saw some growth out of them. You never really see him grow in his career. You don't even know what she does for a living until a half hour into the movie. She just talks about she's supporting him. And I think it would have been better off if maybe they had had for as douchey as he is, had Alec Baldwin in there more to kind of be pulling him away from her you know, see what you're missing kind of thing. Instead, they kind of just show them at the beginning and then a little pop in the middle. And it's it's like there was never any storyline thread to it. It was just a bunch of scenes kind of strung together of them being miserable. And it, they had enough time to really make the scenes maybe shorter and use some of the extra time to develop more of a thorough storyline. But I think having maybe Alec Baldwin in there kind of showing the other side of what Kevin Bacon is missing, giving him a reason to doubt this, that, and the other, that might've helped. But it just, it just seemed like, again, John Hughes just had a bunch of thoughts in his head and he just kind of tried to string them together. And it just seemed repetitive because it was over and over and over the same thing. You know, and another criticism I have is just the, as I've kind of already implied, the inconsistent tone of it. You have these, the vignettes that are obviously played for comedy, not enough of them to make it to me a full blown comedy. But then you have these moments of very poignant realism. You know, Dennis Dugan in the middle of the film saying, Oh, you're going to be a writer. Yeah, fuck that. You're not going to be a writer. What you're going to do is you're going to be a miserable son of a bitch. You're, you're going to pop some kids into your wife, you know, and you're going to, plot around you're going to you know you're going to be miserable and once a year you're going to write an ad that you're really proud of and you know oh, is, is is that what you want and he goes that's not what i want that's what i take you know and you know very like wow that's very powerful that realism and probably really really true describing that element not funny at fucking all <laughs> you know it's you know and but probably one of the best moments in the movie cool. actually i agree with you yeah i, I mean, mean that was a great movie although i love the final part where kevin bacon says he doesn't need some 36 year old begrudging him as youth wasn't he like 30 or 31 when he made the movie yeah probably so yeah <laughs> but you're right that scene that scene was good and that line was actually really good it was you know john hughes will always get those really good couple of lines in here and there and that that was definitely one yeah, I mean, I, 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 as, as an adult now, I respect and admire that scene because it's like, hey, that's real. That is, to me, that speaks to me because that is, you know, that life, even married life, even happily married life is a, a, a series of compromises where you do, as Lori says, you do make sacrifices. You make sacrifices for your family, for your wife, you know, that you, you don't go through life as just saying everything is about my happiness. And I don't think they communicate that message at all in the film, even though they're trying to is, you know, that he's saying, Oh, he's been happy the whole time. Well, yeah, he really wasn't. And, and even the aspect of, Oh, I wrote a book about it and how it, the Hollywood mm-hmm. ending. Here's my book. Hey, honey, skip the chapter about the French model. Uh, don't read that to the kid. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just, that, yeah, don't, don't, don't just, let's just pass right over that. You know, that just, it, it just didn't, I mean, there was so much, I was like, ah, didn't make any sense. And as much as Chris didn't even get to the closing credits of the film, uh, the, I think the closing credits are there because you come immediately out of shit. She almost died. So did the baby. And he wrote a book and it's so abbreviated that it was like, this is everybody's feeling pretty heavy. Let's get something really lighthearted in the, 
in the closing credits and have a whole bunch of famous people suggest names for the characters. And I, I think that was done on intentionally so that people left in a much more positive mood and went, Hey, that was kind of funny because Woody Harrelson and Ted Danson were there together making jokes. <laughs> it was almost too quick. I had to like keep pausing it and go back to figure out who people were. I wish they had it been a little slower. I thought that was one of my favorite parts of the movie. The oh the 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 credits, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I mean, I looked it up online, and they made uh, online they said something about William Shatner, and I watched it twice, and I never saw Shatner. Oh, I remember seeing him, but but um, I don't remember seeing uh, what's the lady from Picket Fences. I didn't remember seeing her. Oh yeah, she's in it. She's because he was filming yeah. Great Outdoors at the same time, and she was in that film. Uh. So they had pretty much the entire cast from The Great Outdoors. They had Matthew Broderick from Ferris Bueller, had Matthew Broderick's parents from Ferris Bueller, because they were the ones who suggest the name Ferris. Um, that, yeah, that was funny. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and the, apparently the entire cast of Cheers was nearby because almost all of them appeared in the credits. Because everybody knows your name. <laughs> sure. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, okay, Laura, you, you mentioned the song, This Woman's Work by Kate Bush. I want to know what Chris has to say about that. You, you talked about how it was a very poignant song, very uh, perfect for the scene that was in. You know, Chris wants to piss and moan all over this film, so I'm going to let him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I, uh, <laughs> I, I barely remember it, I'm sorry to say. I, I literally had tuned so much of it out by that point. It didn't have quite the impact on me that it did on Lori. Okay. Lori. I'm with you on this one that I actually downloaded that song after watching it this time to put it on my, you know, into my playlist. It was just like, ah, that was, a, I remember that song. And as like, like you said, you remembered that scene. That scene was very powerful. Mm-hmm. Did you, when you went in to give birth to your kids, did the, did that film, the thoughts of that film enter your head? It did. <laughs> okay. So for that, there's something to be said for the film. The film there, yeah. emotionally affected you in some capacity to 50 years, no, 50 years, sorry, 30 <laughs> years later that you, you still remember that uh, and that when you were having children that that was a thought in your head about, wow, I hope I'm not Christy. <laughs> no, it was more like this is that woman's work. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it, it was emotional. And it probably was a big part of my fear with having a child too. I, I think I was so excited, but I just I just wanted the labor to be over. Yeah. Delivering, it's the worst part. Yeah, going back to something Chris said, and I just thought of this: the the aspect of being her being pregnant. We didn't get any of that. You know, it's like no, that I'm, was disappointing. I'm Honestly, pregnant, I was disappointed. I'm having baby. You know, other than one time seeing her sleeping and he puts his coffee cup on her belly. I mean, that's about all you had <laughs> of that in the entire Well, she day. went from flat tummy and they showed her tummy a little bit, but it was like, no, I want to see those moments where you're yeah. bonding over this life growing inside of you. Shopping was, for baby stuff. Yeah, that was that was disappointing. Yeah. So I'm saying they had a lot of time to work with and they left a lot of those things out. M- maybe if they had left. And I think dancing lawnmowers i was meshing this with other um as you were said there were a lot of movies about babies then and i I was surprised by that i think i had kind of made a 
big I, I think I put I meshed a lot of stuff together from other movies yeah. that I thought were in this movie. Yeah, there was this one. Uh, obviously, 1988 was also for Keeps, the Molly Ringwald film. Uh, and then there was Look Who's Talking, I think, came out in 89. So, like, with that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, that one was more intentionally funny, but uh, there was a you know quite a few like having babies films. Although uh, I, I f- uh, for keeps, I think Molly Wingrold's supposed to be like a high school student or, or, or pro- uh, like going off to college for the first time when she gets pregnant. So it's it has it, that one is played more for drama, not so much for comedy. But you mentioned like look who's talking played for comedy. This is this was supposed to be played for comedy. What's the funniest scene in this movie to you? His parents the, sitting at the end of the bed criticizing his lovemaking okay. technique. <laughs> the closing credits. <laughs> I was going to say the funniest, because uh, I didn't see the closing credits, but I like the scene where he goes in for the job interview, you know, with uh, Dennis Dugan and, uh, let's say, Paul Gleason, and they catch him lying. Yeah. And they're just going after him. But I thought that was the funniest part of the movie. And they're like, you're perfect for an ad agency. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Other than your name and the your social security. The only part of this whole thing that's truthful is your social security number. <laughs> Yeah. How do you feel about slave wages? I yeah. like them. Yeah. <laughs> of all the com- of all the places we own that place, you couldn't find one that we don't own. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, well, there wasn't Google back then. So yeah, that's, true. that's true. Anything else, Chris, before we wrap it up? No, I think we've said it all, actually. I, I, I'll i be honest with you. I will actually go back and watch the closing credits now. Oh, it's worth The closing credits are worth seeing. I would agree. Okay. They are. They are. It's, it's entertaining. Uh, Dan Aykroyd okay. is very Dan Aykroyd-like with, I'm going to give you the bizarrest fucking names that you can think of. But <laughs> All right. Well, then let's wrap this one up. I'll start with Lori. Lori. Uh, what do you think now? You've kind of hinted at it at the beginning that it's not as good as you remembered it back in ye old times. What do you think it stands the test of time? Do you think it's still a decent film? I do think it stands the test of time. I think it's a decent film. I think it probably wasn't as good as I remembered it in the eighties. So in the late eighties. So I think, I, I think it, had some really great moments, but it was just missing, missing a plot. But um, I liked it and I would probably watch it again someday. But I, I think, yeah, it, it was good. It, but it wasn't. Um, I was disappointed watching it again. Chris? Yeah, I was disappointed watching it a first time. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, I actually I wanted to like the movie, but I just didn't. I try, I really tried to uh, get into it, but it, I just right out of the gate, it was just kind of a miserable movie uh, as far as characters go. So I really wanted to try and like it, but in the end, no, I, I just didn't. I thought it had like a lot of John Hughes movies, a lot, a couple of really nice lines that were really poignant and dead on, uh, like what you're saying about particularly when Dennis Dugan, you know, is telling him about, you know, essentially about life. There are a few of those that were dead on, uh, but they were too few and far between for it to be, you know, I I agree with what the Rotten Tomatoes scores are. I'd say it's about a 50% movie. All right. Well, I did not like the film as much as I liked it 
in and as I said, I didn't see it in '88. I, I think I probably saw it in the early '90s. Uh, you know, I I really thought I was going to like this film a lot more, and 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 I had not seen it since having kids, and and I thought, oh, I'm probably going to appreciate this more. And the reality is, is I still the still the last scene is very poignant, but I was like, well, there's really not much about having babies in this. It's mainly about I'm a douchebag who. You know, got married young, and I seem to be questioning every decision I've made in life from my job to my wife. But ultimately, I'm going to find myself to be happy. And I, and I didn't like the Jake character. I didn't like the Christy character. Like Chris said, I there's some moments in it that I go, wow, that was really well written for very dramatic effect. But the comedy is extraordinarily light and I didn't like the characters. So ultimately I don't think this stands the test of time. And I'm really disappointed in this because if you would have asked me before watching this film, name your top three John Hughes films from the eighties, this might've been in there and now it's nowhere near, you know, and I, and I like John Hughes. I think he was a really, really good uh, filmmaker and he really spoke to me in that time frame, but most of the films were designed for me. This wasn't, you know, when this film came out, I was still in high school. I wasn't having kids. And the, this was somewhat of an, an elevation. And, and I thought it would speak more to me, better to me now. And it wasn't, wasn't even close. So no, I don't think it stands the test of time. It certainly does not have the resonance of a 16 candles or a breakfast club by far. And of course I'll have to agree with Chris that it's nowhere near Curly Sue, nowhere near Curly. Sue. <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for this month's review of She's Having a Baby. Thanks again for joining us and listening to our little monthly podcast. If you've had a good time uh, and you're not pissed off at us for pissing all over John Hughes, uh, fun doesn't have to stop here. You can follow us on Pinterest or Twitter at MH Memories. On either one of these social media outlets, you can keep yourself informed about our occasional written film reviews and film summaries and news on upcoming theatrical releases and trailers and information on many upcoming podcasts on the MHN Podcast Network. Additionally, if you've enjoyed yourselves, you can also subscribe to our account on YouTube where we're releasing our podcasts exclusively. Once there, if you subscribe to our account and ring the notification bell, you'll get updates when we post new material on the website. And you can also leave a comment about the film we're reviewing, our opinions on said film, or even a suggestion for an 80s film you'd like us to review here on Lunchtime Movie Review. Well, that does it for this episode of Lunchtime Movie Review. Until next time, I'm Patrick. I'm Lori. And I'm Chris. And we got to get out of here right now, and you guys are invited. podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only the theme music for lunchtime movie review fireworks is provided courtesy of alexander nakaranda at serpentsoundstudios.com under a creative commons attribution 4.0 license all original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the mhn podcast network 
Lunchtime Movie Review, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted. 